Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I do like to frolic with my consoles. And I am Ash Versus, a specialist in all games. This episode aired on the 28th of December, 1993. Yes, your ears do not deceive you. We've moved back to Tuesdays. Mr. Blobby returns to the top of the charts, and we've got a new number one at the top of the box office. It's Clint Eastwood. Woods perfect world. Me and you got a lot in common, Philip. Both of us is handsome devils. We both like RC Cola. And neither one of us got an old man worth a damn. Eight-year-old Philip Perry has just been taken hostage. Are you gonna shoot me? Oh yeah. By the most dangerous man in West Texas. Put the gun down, old timer. You couldn't hit me anyway, probably shoot the boy. Get in the car, Phyllis. This could be Jump. his lucky day. That rocker! Complicating law enforcement attempts to apprehend him, Haynes is believed to have an eight-year-old boy with him as hostage. This is not a penal escape situation. This happens to be a manhunt. You know, Philip, you have an American right to eat cotton candy blind roller coasters. Woo! You got a phone? No. Go inside, lie down till we're gone. I told that judge to send them up. I told him it was the right thing to do. Now we have two weeks of Perfect World and we have two weeks of Mr. Blobby. Mm-hmm. So do we want to do the pain this week or do we want to do the pain next week? Because I figure we should split them. I think we should do Perfect World this week. Then we'll savor the blobbiness for, uh, for its final week. The phrase savor the blobbiness should never <laughs> be uttered ever again just (laughs) never just no let's not okay let's talk about a perfect world let's talk about kevin costner let's talk about an american crime drama which is directed by mr clint eastwood Mm. 
Kevin Costner is far from the good guy in this movie. He's playing an escaped convict who takes a young boy hostage and basically tries to use him as a bartering chip while escaping from the law. Unsurprisingly, Eastwood also stars in the film as a Texas Ranger. Man, that's really stretching his, uh, his acting range of playing oh, yeah. a gruff law enforcement officer. It's one of his favourite things to do, is to put himself in a movie as himself. Although, having said that, apparently the suggestion to have Eastwood appear as a Texas Ranger, not Walker, a different Texas Ranger, uh, Red Garnet, there is a Texan name. He's called mm-hmm. Red Luke. <laughs> yeah. But the suggestion came from Costner himself when he was uh, shown the screenplay to the movie. Eastwood was fine with it because he realised that the relatively small amount of screen time he had meant he could actually be more focused behind the camera and continue to work on his directing chops. So it works out. And also, he was still quite a draw as a marquee name. Oh, yeah. But nowadays, you could either put Eastwood as a marquee name for a star or director... And both would probably work just as well. But back then, the acting was what was going to pull people in. And this was before Waterworld, so Costner was still quite a draw as well. Even after Waterworld, I still think that they they treated Costner like he was still like the big money draw that he was in the late 80s and early 90s. And actually, I mean, to be fair, I was only thinking that because I just did a podcast recently talking like from 1999. And he was top of the charts there as well because he did a Nicholas Sparks movie. And I was like, well, it's crazy to think that in 1999, Kevin Costner was still being cast as leading romantic man. What about after The Postman? Did he uh, did he still hold on to it after that? Or was that the nail in the coffin? Mm, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that really was the nail for him. I have, as I think we discussed before, revised my opinion on Waterworld, having recently oh, yeah. watched uh, the Arrow box set on it. Not tried it with Postman. Don't think I'm gonna. <laughs> But the film was released in November 93 in the USA and grossed $31.1 million in the US with an international gross, putting it up over the 100 million mark for a total of 135.2 million. Got very positive reviews. Eastwood got praised for his directing prowess. Costner got praised for his acting range. It also won praise for the way it depicted, like, the psychology of hostage situations and and the way that uh, Costner acted through the scenes and he wasn't just kind of like a psychopathic convict it was a subtle performance I've never seen the film did watch the trailer gotta be honest I'm looking at it going mm, you know what maybe a double bill with the fugitive that that might be a good way to watch this as I said, like, and I've said this a couple of times on the podcast before, but my wife and I are in a, like, maybe it's just because of this podcast, but we are kind of like in a bit of a 90s renaissance of like, you know, of, of the films that we're choosing to watch over weekends. And this might be one, if I could track it down, if it's on like Amazon Prime or Now TV or something, I might suggest it because I think I might give this a chance, to be honest. Even Roger Ebert liked it, calling it a film that any director alive might be proud to sign. Not bad at all. Dead directors, fuck it, they're not interested. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. Yeah, pretty much. Alfred Hitchcock, probably not going anywhere near it. Got no new games uh, coming out at the moment because we are like basically just before the new year. And we haven't actually got any new games released next week. Um, are we going to do the magazine this week? Oh, I've got the new issue, Luke. I've got the new issue. And you know what? You just thought... <gasps> look at the back of that. Look at the back. Look at the back. It's an advert for Robocop versus Terminator. It is. The back cover is more interesting because you know what we've got as the cover stars of this issue? It's young Merlin and Aladdin. 
I mean, those are two big games. And yeah, you'd yeah. imagine that you'd have some pretty spectacular artwork to go with that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm thinking Disney artwork. I'm thinking, oh, it, it's literally just a magic wand. On a and black some background. sparkle stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is very uninspiring. That is not going to leap off shelves, is it? Not really. Although they do say that there is a free Zool year planner. And you know what would get me buying a magazine as a teenager in 93 slash 94? It's, holy shit, a year planner. That's that's going to be top of my wish list. That's going to make me pick this over any other gaming magazine. I mean, yeah, I think I, I bought this anyway. But looking at the headlines, and obviously there's a new section and we'll get into that, but you want to talk about a controversial statement to make on your cover. Better than Street Fighter 2. Turn to page 92. Now, what game do you think we're talking about, Luke? Okay, the cynic in me is going to say it's Rise of Robots. But we had the Rise of Robots preview in the last issue. So what on earth could it be? Man, what bit? Primal Rage, I think it's 95, so it's not going to be that. Tekken is out in 94, so could it be Tekken? It's not Tekken. It's something far more 2D and from Capcom's main rival at this point. It's SNK and it's Samurai Showdown. Now, that's a really interesting one because the things that Samurai Showdown and Street Fighter have in common is that it's a one-on-one -on -one beater. Samurai Showdown's a very different kettle of fish, though. I mean, it's weapon-based combat for a start. It is also taking a leaf out of Mortal Kombat's book because this game is quite bloody, as you would expect for a game with pointed, sharp weapons. But the lead reviewer of this game has written a poem about it. Wow, bloody... <laughs> At a spare couple of hours, I guess. It's a chap called Ed Ricketts, and he says, Oh, showdown, with your flashing blades and dogs and things, are you, I wonder, actually a bit better than Street Fighter 2? Probably. Now, I think it's meant to be a haiku, but the formatting on it is crap, and so I've just tried to read it in a way that actually makes sense. Yeah. Either way, I think probably better than Street Fighter 2 is a bit more hedging your bets than the cover line of better than street fighter 2 it's clickbait from 1993 <coughs> luke <laughs> it's always existed but they are super high on a game that is only available either in arcades or on the at this point prohibitively expensive neo geo system they talk about the fact that a lot of the special moves are comfortingly similar to street fighter 2 but a few of the more devastating ones are incredibly complicated and difficult to pull off reliably. So difficult that you never really use them. There are so many to remember anyway. Each character has at least two, and some have eight or more. Now, two, that's that's Blanca level. That's Cannonball mm -hmm. and Electric, if you're talking yeah. actual special moves at this point. He gets a few others as time goes on, but Blanca and E Honda are always the kind of the simple Street Fighter 2. Eight moves. There's only so many ways you can do a quarter circle. I mean, yeah, you've got the quarter circle, you've got the half circle, you've got the full circle, you've got the four down, down, forward. 
back down and then down back or back down yeah, and then or, there's like and like the charge moves as well like a, a back, back forward, charge a down charge up down yeah hammer buttons mm-hmm. i suppose you've got counterclockwise and clockwise on the full circle and then you've got the punch kick variant so yeah you you could do eight but it feels a little excessive a mate of mine bloody loved Samurai Showdown. Absolutely loved it. It was, it was like he had, he actually had a Neo Geo. It was at university. He had a Neo Geo, and it was one of the games that he had for it. And he proper loved it. I mean, they're probably as high on it as he was because they're talking about the fact that it's not just like projectile moves or weapon moves. You can set animals on people, dogs, eagles, or just throw people's skulls. There's mm-hmm. one character that just throws skulls. They've also big on the sound, talking about the belts, the whoops, the thuds and screams, chanting in the background. I mean, it's like they're talking about an actual episode of Games Master at this point. Including the skulls. <laughs> and they're also saying that there's lots of incomprehensible Japanese speech. Which, you know, I suppose to them is incomprehensible, to the Japanese, probably less so. The whole thing just says, look at me, I'm incredibly expensive and you'll probably never be able to afford me, but bloody hell, I'm just like playing an arcade game, really. Now, in Games Master Magazine, there's an overall percentage and then there's four sections scored out of ten. We'll go down each one and let's see if you can guess what they gave each one out of ten. Graphics. Gonna go high, nine. Ten. Sound. Well, if they went for 10 on the, the graphics, are they going to go... And they did enjoy the sound, so I'm going to go for a 10 on sound. Nine. <laughs> oh. Playability. 10. Nine. <laughs> what? Last ability. Nine. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping... I was really hoping it was going to be 10. Now, now you haven't done so well on the general knowledge, but you still got a chance to walk away with Bully's Star Prize. If you can guess the overall score, now, to give you a fighting chance, I will allow you to be out by 1% either direction. Okay. Take your time. You're playing for the speedboat. They are going like they're saying it's better than Street Fighter. Street Fighter scored very high both on TV and in the mag. I'm going to say here, because I think it's probably around about 93 94 and i think street fighter got 94 so i may hedge my bets and say 95 because that will give me 94 and 96 so i'm gonna say 95 is that your final answer it's my final answer you won the fucking speedboat mate it was 94 percent you went slightly over but it was within the parameters because i wanted to try and give you a chance to get (laughs) one right (laughs) And I did say, I think it was probably bang on 94. I was just hedging my bets with 95. Do you want to guess what the recommended retail price on this was? Because I think you know roughly Oof. how much Neo Geo games were costing at the time. I think they were easily like uh, 80, 100 to 150 quid each. 175. Yeah, I was going to say, they were pricey buggers. That's why no one had one. I had a real soft spot for Samurai Showdown for the entire series, but particularly the first one, because... It was everything I loved about Street Fighter 2, the graphics, the cartoony characters, but it also had that slightly seediness of Mortal Kombat because it had the blood. Mm. And it was bastard fast. It did feel, for a short time at least, better than Street Fighter 2. I remember a local music shop 
they had two to three arcade games. I say two to three because two were usually working and one of them always tended to be broken. Different one each time. But I do remember a period in time when they had Samurai Showdown on one and a hooky Street Fighter Black Belt edition on the other. And even with all that crazy bastard Black Belt edition stuff, I still sunk more 20p's into Samurai Showdown because I could Mm. play Street Fighter 2 at home. Not the hooky weird copy, but I could play it on the snares. But yeah, something about Samurai Showdown. And it was a loud and cacophonous game. Absolutely loved it. But I'm glad we're on a new issue. We've got a good few weeks left yet. And oh, there's going to be some news to go over in here. We're going to have a good time with this issue, despite the massively underwhelming cover. A question I do have about the magazine, though, and I don't know if you want to tease this out, but there has been, you know, rumors that Dex is getting a column. It wasn't in last month's issue. Is Dex's purplish column making its debut in this issue? Well, I'm looking at the index pages and I'm looking at the reviews booth. Now it's not there, obviously. Looking at the tip zone, definitely not there. And the consultation zone, which is separate from the tip zone, I guess because it's letters writing in, that's fair. Let's see, content, network, charts, no. Prototypes, no. Confused, often, but no. Win lots of game-related things. Ooh, a feature on the Jaguar. Probably loads of games there that never actually came out. An interview with Peter Molyneux. (laughs) And letters, tips reviews and letters there is no sign of dexter's column purple large small or otherwise there are a couple of pictures of jet sorry i mean the game's mistress so it's got that going for it where oh where oh where is the dex column we were promised well it is a very baggy overall and welcome to Games Master Team Championship. Once again, three more teams are going to be battling out for a place in our championship semi-final. We'll have a chance to win a whole bunch of Mega Mungus prizes. Let's go and meet the teams straight away. Nothing too much to say about the intro to this show. It's literally just Dex saying, you know, hello and welcome to the show. Um, although I, I do like Dex using, and he's used this term quite a lot throughout Series 3, Mega Mungus when he's talking about, like, you know, the challenges that we've got on the show or the prizes that you're going to win. Megamungus is just a very 90s phrase. It's a Pat Sharp. It's a Gaz Top. Yeah. It's a smashy and nicey. That's what I was about to say. It feels very smashy and nicey. We've got another Megamungus song coming up with Backman Turner <laughs> Overdrive. This is the dream team. Yeah, I'm Chris. You're Chris, team I'm captain? Yeah, I'm captain. Lark? Robert? Robert? James. James. Okay, Chris. Confident with your team? Yep, you see us, you see champions. Gonna win. We've got the. No worries. Okay, well, good luck to you all. Let's go and meet the green team this way. Here we go, the final team, the green team. Team Perfection, they're called. Hmm, I'm sure they are. Come out, guys, and tell us your names. Matthew. Matthew. Simon. Simon. Stephen. Stephen. So, Matthew, you're the team captain? Yeah. You are? So, what would you say would be your specialist game tonight, then, for your team? 
All of them. Yeah. Yeah. You confident you're going to do well on all of them? Nothing to worry me. Nothing to worry you. Yeah, we're going to beat them all. You're going to beat them all? Then the kick Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if you can say that, but he said it anyway. Oh, we've got the dream teams represented by Chris, Robert and James, the Charlton crew of Steve Godfrey. Hello, Homer. This is Godfrey Jones from the TV magazine show Rock Bottom. And Joe, and lastly, Team Perfection, who I'm sure they are, represented by Matthew, Simon and Stephen. Um, a nice little mixed bag of teams this week. I, I quite like them. You know, the dream team are very sort of boisterous, like you see us. UC champions. Now, what was interesting about the Dream Team is that they've got a group of fans with them. A posse. A posse, you might say. And like Chris right at the start gives them a shout out, but he's so excited to give them the shout out that he starts to trip over his words. He knows that he's got to give them the shout out, but in the excitement, it's like, shout out to the posse. Way posse's here. And I was like, rewind. Nope, posse. We're fine. Because when we get to the last lot, Team Perfection, we've got two very modestly named teams here, the Dream Team and Team Perfection, neither of which are exactly as advertised. When they're talking to Team Perfection, uh, Matthew is a confident captain who says they're specialists in all games. And then I think Matthew says they're going to kick off or something. But it's something that Dex doesn't think he should have said. I thought he said we're going to kick ass. And that's why Dex says, I'm not sure if you can say that. I mean, you have, but I'm not sure if you can. Yeah. Kick ass and kick off equate to the same thing. Fair enough. Big cheer anyway. Well, hey, well, hey. Also, shout out to Matthew as well, because he's wearing a Mighty Ducks t-shirt. Oh, there's little more 90s than wearing a Mighty Ducks t-shirt. Are you excited for the return of Estevez to Disney Plus? Oh, aren't I just, mate? Bloody love the Mighty Ducks. I'm very excited for this series. I mean, can you imagine the difficult negotiations they must have gone through getting him back? I mean, with the busy schedule he's no doubt keeping right now. <laughs> anyway, let's have our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? The platform challenge I selected is on Empire Strikes Back for the Super Nintendo. Your task is to collect as many points as possible by slaying bloodthirsty beasts with your light saber or blaster gun in the ice fields of Hoth. Five points will be awarded to the winner. Two for the second place, and zero for the last. Jump to it. It's a game that you and I theorised would be coming up relatively soon because we've had Super Star Wars feature a fair amount in the consultation zone. We've, you know, we kind of exhausted everything that we could say about that game. But literally, the last time it was on the consultation zone it was only a couple of episodes ago. I said. Super Empire Strikes Back's round the corner. That must come up soon. Blow me down. Here it is. And it's a challenge. And I know we get um, Super Return of the Jedi in Series 4. I really like Super Empire Strikes Back. Really, really like it. But it is. I know that a lot of people say that the Super Star Wars games are bastard hard. But I think the Empire Strikes Back is bastard hard. It's a proper prick of a game. I mean, this is the first level that they're playing here. This is Luke on Hoth. And... I mean, none of them die from enemy hits. One of them dies from stupidity, but that's not the game's fault. Hmm. But as soon as they started this game, I was taken right back to the 90s because I remember buying... This was towards the end of my time with the SNES, but I remember buying all three of these games unboxed. So I had Star Wars, Empire and Jedi... 
And, oh, I love these games to death. And it was just so much fun because it was, at that point, the best a lightsaber had looked in a video game. I think quite easily so. These are the best Star Wars games on like on a home console, I would say. Um, like not including like the PC because I think like the TIE Fighter series and the X-Wing series are, are, are quite well beloved but I do think that these are probably some of the best console games in the 90s at the very least that Star Wars had to offer because up until this point we hadn't had great Star Wars games I quite liked Star Wars on the, uh, the Game Boy which was essentially just a port of the NES uh, version but these were the games that made you feel like yeah I'm actually playing a Star Wars game as opposed to I'm just playing a platforming game that's got a Star Wars license. And the fact is, the games are still beloved today because you still get these games out there and available. I know they were definitely released for the Wii Virtual Console. I think there's a collection on the PlayStation and Xbox as well. And if you want to play them and you don't have those as an option, I'm sure emulation can be a thing if it's not for you already. And they are absolutely worth playing because they hold up incredibly well, even the Mode 7 sections. Mm-hmm. The Mode 7 sections were were brilliant. The Snowspeeder section in this was, was great. I mean, I know Shadows of the Empire, Rogue Squadron and were really good for doing the Hoth taking down the Walkers level. These guys did it first. These guys did that section first. And uh, I'd kind of like to have seen that as the challenge, maybe. It would have been something a bit special, a bit sexier. But this challenge, at least, is something that all of them should be able to do without biffing it. Aha. <laughs> yeah, because this is just collect the most points within 45 seconds. And I would imagine that's that's why we don't get the sort of super sexy yeah, bits on Hoth with the, the Mode 7, because it's a time challenge. It's 45 seconds, and you've got to try and keep these to 45 seconds. We've got so many challenges that we need to fit into this show. And yeah, it, like it, it feels quite basic because we've had this a lot you know pretty much since the start of the team championships which is just that the platforming levels are go through the platform you've got 45 seconds get the most points or clocks or balls of yarn or whatever it is so it does feel like a pretty standard challenge but because it's empire strikes back and it's a brand new game it does feel like it's a really kind of big time thing I would argue how much of a platform game this actually is because really it is more of a runny shooty jumpy game platform game yeah but it's <laughs> it i don't even think that mr i bloody hate platform games jazz rignall would describe this as a platform game well if we ever speak to jazz we'll ask him i mean one of the questions we can ask him super star wars and empire and jedi platform or not and the reason why i'd say they're not platform games is for the mode seven sections we've just talked about Mm. But for me, now I think the Jazz would still say it's a platforming game, but it's a platform game with variety, which is why it won't get looked as poorly upon as, say, like Aero the Acrobat. I wonder if that will be Jazz's get out of jail free card. So the Empire Strikes Back. We've got Robert of the Dream Team. He's up first. Dave, what's his form like? Well, Robert can do the time trial in Mario Kart in 56 seconds and claims to be able to do any level of Sonic in under 30 seconds. And he's a big boast, so it's time for him to put his joypad where his mouth is. Yeah, he's a flash kit. But anyway, Robert is up first and Dave Perry says he's quick to boast. So it's time to put his joypad where his mouth is. Bet that sounded better in his head. I mean, he has got some boasts behind him, though, because he can do the time trial on Mario Kart in 56 seconds and any level on Sonic in 30 seconds. Not the first, not the second, not the fifth, 
any level of Sonic, which I call bullshit. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green Hills, if you'd have said, I can do the Green Hill Zone in 30 seconds, totally buy it. I could do Scrap Brain Zone in 30 seconds. Bullshit. I mean, even Dex picks up on it and just says, well, he's a flash git, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And then Dex is looking at the producer saying, hey, that kid said ass, I can call him a git. It's fine. And unfortunately, he's not our best player in this challenge either, because the the other two kind of like very much learn from his mistakes because he stays on the Tauntaun the entire time through this challenge. Which means that, yeah, while he does have a, a bigger health bar, he is slower and he feels way less mobile. Like he gets up to 750 points with 13 seconds to go, but he ends with 950 points, which even at the end of that, I was like, that doesn't seem very high. Like I'm pretty sure someone could quite easily beat that. And then our lad from the Charlton crew absolutely destroys that. He runs into more enemies than he actually destroys. And then when Joe is up, he doesn't go with the blaster, which Robert had used for a lot of the time. He goes with the lightsaber. He also ditches the Tauntaun double quick and goes on foot, which means he can just wave that lightsaber. He's dispatching most of the enemies in one or two hits. He can jump much higher. He can do spinning attacks while jumping. He can pick up collectibles, pick up like little blips that give him more points. He could pick up the Darth Vader helmets that do double points. And he's doubled Robert's score with 22 seconds left on the clock. He manages to keep his health topped up and he ends the challenge with 5,100 points. And I bet you at that moment in time, Robert was stood there going, shit. Yeah, he's proper bollocks this now. And like it was those Darth Vader uh, bonus points, which Dave was putting over on commentary, kind of explaining why his score was going up. Not only did he get one Darth Vader helmet, he actually got two. So he was getting four time bonus points. And then Matthew from Team Perfection, you know, basically he's watched Joe and he's also watched Robin. He's like, well, cool. I'm going to follow Joe's example. Then I'm getting off the Tauntaun pretty much straight off the bat. I'm going to take the risk with the lower health bar and look for those multipliers. And you can see him, basically, every time he kills an object, just looking around, is there a multiplier? Is there a multiplier? Finally gets the multiplier, but isn't as lucky as Joe was. He doesn't get a second one. With that said, he still ends off with 1,800 points quite easily comes second in the challenge. Even though he dies. Like, literally, by the end, he basically biffs this jump. It's that Super Star Wars of just constant falling, constant falling. Uh-oh, I'm now just on spikes. And he gets one hit of iframes, and then that's it. And, is, and he dies literally as the buzzer goes. Super Star Wars was known for occasionally borrowing the pit from the first couple of Mortal Kombat games because, yeah, this goes down a long way. This is like a Hans Gruber at the end of Die Hard kind of fall. This is Alan Rickman plummeting to his demise. But anyway, this challenge, whilst did have some biffage, did make me want to play Super Empire Strike. It made me want to play all three of the Super Star Wars games. I'm probably going to be worse at them now than I was in the 90s, but I bet you I'd still have a lot of fun. Yeah. First challenge over, Luke. Dex, what are the scores? We've got the Dream Team in last position because they lost that challenge, so they got nil point. Then we've got Team Perfection, they came second, so they get two points. And then we've got the Charlton Crew way in front with a massive five points. Well, they may be the Dream Team, but they are bottom last at the moment. And even Team Perfection are on two points. It's the Charlton Crew running away with it. 
Modesty will get you everywhere. Take control of the all-time great boxing champions in Legends of the Ring on the SNES. Can you batter your opponent senseless, or will you get battered yourself? Seconds out. You've got a wide range of moves to block and punch. The controls are simple and intuitive, so it's easy to get to grips with. There's a reasonably good range of punches and blocks in the game, which all feel very good. But it's the strategy that makes it a really, really good game. Unfortunately, like most boxing games, it's a bit uh, two-dimensional. Despite the 3D effect of the graphics, the boxers can only move in one plane. Our Motley crew in the review zone this week is Andy Nuttall from Games Master Magazine, Juice Bilson from Sega Zone, and Mark Holmes from Megatech. And our first game up on the chopping block is Boxing Legends on the Super Nintendo, which I found to be a kind of an interesting review, particularly from Mark, who said that while it's very, you know, it's 3D in graphics, it still feels like a 2D game. We're at a point in time where because boxing games are trying to be simulations, they can't really have the range of attacks and blocks that you would want for a proper boxing simulation and have range of movement. We're away off from that happening, and I'd argue we don't get a really good iteration of that until Fight Night, which is mm. still a bit in the distance. That's when EA start making games. Um, Ready to Rumble is probably in there as well. What are you about to question? I was going to say, are you, not, are you trying to tell me that Super Punch-Out is not a realistic boxing sim? I'd say whether Super Punch-Out is a realistic boxing simulation entirely depends on how many concussions you've received in the ring by the time you play it. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> I love Super Punch-Out, but it's even more 2D than this one. Now, whilst last week we saw Frank Bruno playing greatest heavyweights on the Mega Drive, this also has a selection of famous real-world boxers. We've got Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hearns, James Tony, Marvin Hagler, Jake LaMotta, Sugar Ray Robinson, and Rocky Graziano. All of the fights took place at the Las Vegas Hilton, and in the American version, there were even adverts. There were in-game adverts for HBO which you can actually see in the footage that they've got here, which means they've got an American cart for the review. Because, yeah, you can see the adverts for the hotel and for HBO in the backgrounds. Another slightly groundbreaking thing for this is in the North American version of this game, there's blood. Oh, cool. There is actual blood that appears as fighters take damage. In Japan, it took the Mortal Kombat route and became sweat. Also going against Nintendo's censorship policies... In between round, there are lovely ladies in bikinis that parade around the ring. Tisk, 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 Nintendo. Trying to say that Sega are the dirty ones by putting blood in Mortal Kombat. Meanwhile, eh? The, the actual fighting game mechanic that we see is fairly standard for a number of the boxing games of this time. It does look nice, though. The graphics hmm. are big. They, they do take up a lot of space on the screen. They don't feel lost. If anything, I'd say they're sometimes a bit too big by the looks of it, and I think we encounter that problem we've seen with previous boxing games, where the sprites are so big, it can be sometimes, it can sometimes be difficult to see what your opponent is about to throw at you. Yeah, which we saw in Greatest Heavyweights last week uh, with Frank Bruno, and I feel like we've seen a lot with the boxing games that we've had on Games Master. And I think that's why, for me personally, I gravitate more towards Super Punch-Out, because Super Punch-Out isn't a boxing sim an arcade game it's a memory pattern game and i think that is a way more engaging style of gameplay than just mashing buttons and hoping your lad falls down 
unless you are very good and you really, really put the time in and learn kind of, I guess, the patterns that the fighters follow. Yeah, you're right. And really, who has time for that? Because, you know, you could be playing Street Fighter 2 or Samurai Showdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So yes, that's 78% there for Boxing Legends. It feels like that's a fair score probably for this sort of game, I reckon. I mean, Andy and Joss were kind of like mostly up on it. And it was really Mark who just brought it down. I reckon he was the one that pushed it below the 80% mark. Ever wanted to pilot a top-secret stealth bomber on a mission behind enemy lines? F-117 for the Mega Drive is a new flight sim that tries to put you into the hot seat. Lift off! Well, F-117 is a bog-standard flight simulator, and really, what more can you say? It's got a pretty standard mission setup, and so once you've mastered the basics, there's a pretty good learning curve, and playability is quite progressive. Do you really want to fly a plane that looks like a deformed kipper in several missions over enemy territory? And up next on the Mega Drive, it's F-17 Nightstorm, which apparently is a bog-standard flight sim. I, I, I have no recollection of flight sims being on the Mega Drive whatsoever. It may just be because they're not in my arena of interest. But like, I see these reviews now and I'm like, these are like 3D flight sims. They look like us. Like, but I, I, I would have thought at the time I'd have been fairly impressed by the whole. Not that I would have played it. It's crazy as well, because a lot of the times when we see these flight sim games for the Mega Drive, or even some for the SNES, you look up and you're like, oh, there's an Amiga version, or as time goes on, there's a PC version, and that will run a bit better, or that will be a bit more suited, because you've got a mouse and you've got a keyboard. This was a Mega Drive exclusive game. This didn't come out for anything else, which means they put a lot of effort into something that isn't terribly good. I, the most exciting thing about it is you get to fly a Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk. They do give an arcade mode for the non-flight sim purists, which I always appreciate. I'm still terrible at the games, even in arcade mode, but at least I have a fighting chance. Yeah, 67% for, for Nightstorm here, which is not a great score. And I think that it's, it's quite like looking at the footage, while... For 1993, having these sort of 3D graphics on a Mega Drive might look good. But I'll tell you what it does do, actually, is it just highlights how far and away the SNES was probably the better console than the Mega Drive in terms of doing this sort of thing. Because here, this is what you've got in the Mega Drive. You look over to the SNES and you've got Star Wing, man, which just looks so much better. And I don't think there is any reason why Sega or a developer for Sega couldn't have done what Nintendo did with Starwing. And putting the Super FX chip and try, I try and do, I, I guess maybe they were waiting for like the 32X, like they were putting so much effort into that instead. Didn't really pay off, did it? <laughs> no. Oh, well, I mean, 1994 is round the corner. We'll get to the 32X. But yeah, Andy says bog standard flights him. Joss continues on from that thought saying, it's got a learning curve and playability is quite progressive. But man, Mark is the new killjoy of Games Master by saying that if you really want to fly a plane that looks like a deformed kipper, this is maybe the game for you. I suppose it does look like a deformed kipper, but I don't think that's the game's fault. I think that's just what this plane looks like. Because it's a stealth plane. Right, it's time for our Room of the Future competition. This week, we're just doing a test message. Remember, you'll only be able to make out the words if you look through something red and transparent. The test message is coming up now. And those of you looking through something red should be able to make out the words Room of the Future starts next week. Got it? Next week, we'll have the first clue for you. Remember, the answer to all three questions is a number, and those numbers together make up a code that opens the door to the Room of the Future. 
don't worry, folks. If you haven't written down the answer, it's not key to uh, the competition. If you are looking to win the uh, the Atari Jaguar and the Philips CDI and the Amiga CD32 and all that sort of stuff, this is just a test version. But my question for you, Ash, is have either of us thought about getting uh, a red thing so that we can try and do the Room of the Future thing? Because I've now watched a couple of episodes with the Room of the Future and I've just looked at it thinking like, can I work this out without the red thing? But I haven't, and I could easily make my own red thing because there's some cling film downstairs. I've got a red Sharpie. I could probably make my own one, but I just haven't done it yet. I think you should just because I really want to hear what happens when your other half walks into the room and you are colouring in clean film with a red Sharpie. And just, I want to know how that conversation will play out. I suspect you'd just say, Games Master, there'd be a slight eye roll and you'd be left to it. Would that be accurate? And then I'd be fairly accurate, yeah. She'll leave me to just cut on my own little monocle-sized uh, bit of cardboard out from an Amazon package or something. Well, what I was going to do is I've got some red-blue glasses because i remember i had them when i was trying to use it on the 3d thing that's but of right, course it was yeah. red green and when i was making my notes up here for this episode and next episode i left it downstairs and after this episode i thought oh i'll get it for the next one and i forgot and in this episode they tell you what the message is going to say which is room of the future starts next week so i'm like oh cool fine i'll get it for the next one i forgot and i still managed to read it <laughs> without the red i just i was able to decode it so i know what next week's message is already i've got it in my notes oh cool because i don't i I think this basically means i'm like a metahuman like superhuman i think this like qualifies me for the x-men or the avengers i can basically decipher these pictures without the use of a red film i'm kind of like the anti-cyclops i don't need a ruby quartz visor i can just decipher this bullshit I should put it on my CV. I reckon that will land me the job that kind of like really takes off. Well, that's enough for the reviews. Let's find out what our second challenge is. What are we playing, Games Master? The mystery challenge I've chosen is on the bonus boss level of the pinball game, The Megan's Revenge for the Sega Mega Drive. Your task is to render the E-Rod 3 boss armless in the quickest time by blasting your ball to his branches. Spiders will emerge from its mouth to hinder your progress. But destroy these, and your opponent will be left unprotected and ready for the trap. Timber! Ho oh, ho ho! This is quite a cool one, isn't it? Playing dragon. It's a pinball game, but it's like you're playing a boss battle on a pinball game. You basically find this giant tree that's got these arms, and the arms are throwing spiders at you, and there's sexy ladies on either side. That's kind of cool, this. So this game was released in 93 for the Genesis and Mega Drive. Fine. It's a follow-up to Devil's Crush, otherwise known as Dragon's Fury, which in itself was a game for the never officially released in the UK, TurboGrafx-16. That in itself was the second instalment in the Crush Pinball series after Alien Crush, and it was followed by Jackie Crush and Alien Crush Returns. So... This was a series that flipped around all over the place. I think Jackie Crush was a SNES exclusive, but I love pinball games like this because don't get me wrong, I've got the uh, pinball arcade on my iPad. I really love those gorgeous, accurate recreations of real pinball tables. But Mm -hmm. this Dragon's Revenge, Devil's Crush, all of those, Revenge of the Gator on the Game Boy. I've not played Dragon's Revenge, but I played the shit out of Devil's Crush because I thought Devil's Crush was banging, man. That was a great, great game. 
It takes the concept of pinball, which is a fairly fun concept, and it does with it something that can't be done with a real-world pinball machine. And I always appreciate that because there's something about the physics model of a pinball game, if it's done properly, which has such a degree of uncertainty to it. Because a lot of it is on timing and your reaction speeds, but if the physics modeling is done right, there are so many things that can happen. A ball will not travel the same twice. And it's great. And then you get stuff like this, where you've got demon trees, and yes, bikini lovelies, and it, it's not even 90s, this is 1980s. This is a double-page spread in Heavy Metal magazine. Oh yeah, absolutely it is. And it's, it's a, I think it's just a very cool, it's a cool challenge, because it's very different to the other sorts of challenges that we have had throughout, like from the team championships thus far, but I'd also say like from Series 3 overall. We haven't had a pinball chance since Pinball Fantasies back in Series 2. And that was quite a ch challenge because the three lads weren't asked and weren't particularly good at it. But yeah, I was really, really excited for this one. But yeah, challenges. Defeat the tree boss by blasting your ball as quickly as possible. Should be easy with the bikini lovelies either side. So the game is Dragon's Revenge. We've got James of the Dream Team. He's up first. Uh, Dave, what's the SP on uh, James? Well, James has been playing for eight years since he was seven. So he's an experienced game player. But this is, a, this is a game that needs steely nerves. And of course, all the pressure's on him because he's got to keep his team in the championships. But James is up first. And according to our man with the facts, Dave Perry, he's been playing games for eight years. So he's an experienced games player. Did this make you feel old, Luke? I mean, a little bit, yeah. I mean, you know, I turned 35 last year and there are certain moments where there have been certain things where like do you know what was a moment that made me feel really old uh was fairly recently i was watching uh bbc news and there was an interview with dave grohl and dave grohl said you know it's the last year it was the 25th anniversary of the foo fighters and i was like friggin hell it is as well isn't it bloody hell that makes me feel very very old yeah i mean do you know what made me feel old it was about a minute ago when you said you turned 35 last year and that made you feel old because I'm ahead of you a bit. So that made me feel old. But also the concept that at that point, eight years was considered a long time to be mm -hmm. playing video games, to be experienced. Whereas now, if someone said, oh, I'm an experienced games player. Yeah, I've been playing them eight years. We could go to some level. Hang on. Eight years. That's nothing. I remember before analog controls. In fact, no, <laughs> I remember before digital controls when there were analog controls and then we lost the analog controls and then we got them back again and I've gone cross eyed. But anyway, James is up first and he eliminates the spiders, he eliminates the arms, and that's it. 40 seconds, boom, boss defeated. No real panic moments. It was great. James had great ball control. He he really did. Like he knew how to balance his balls on the uh, on the levers. Really good. You actually saw it a couple of times where he would just like just slightly tap it just to get it into position while he was waiting for the spiders. He is the best player at this by leaps and bounds. Yeah, stunning ball control. Forty seconds, nothing to be ashamed of. Particularly when next up is Simon, who Dave says he's not a brilliant player, but he's a steady player. Unfortunately, he has very poor ball control and he only lasts nine seconds, which I guess if you're a bit nervous or a bit overexcited, mm -hmm. I bet you the first thing he said when he stood up from the chair was, it's never happened to me before. 
Well, I mean, Dave calls this a Hall of Shame contender. And the other Hall of Shame contender we've had was the Aladdin game. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, which do you think was worse? This lad here busting his balls in nine seconds or your lad who jumped straight into the lava right at the start? For tragic games playing ability, Aladdin is definitely a worse moment. For humour, this is better because balls, nine seconds, it, it, the jokes write themselves. If Dominic had been here for this series, it would have been censored. Like, like mm-hmm. he, he couldn't have he couldn't have contained himself. It would have been blurting out everywhere. Well, Steve from the Charlton crew does last longer than the nine seconds. Uh, he gets one of the arms off within the twenty-three, but then loses his ball. So essentially, they say that you know he came second because he didn't die within nine seconds. They take the second place. Yeah, he lasted twenty-five seconds. So second challenge over. One of our teams has to go. We can already work out who it is. But Dex, please tell us the scores. Okay, Team Perfection, they weren't so perfect on that last challenge. They scored zero points, but plus the two they got from the first Fallon, that makes they've got two points. The Charlton crew came second in that challenge. Even though they didn't complete it, they did manage to last 25 seconds, so we're going to award them the two points, plus the five from their first round. That means they've got seven. Then the Dream Team, they won this last challenge because they completed the level, but they had zero in the first challenge, so that means they got five. So, out in front at the moment is the Charlton crew with a big seven. Now, I've got this note for next week as well but I really want to have a word with Dex and how he's explaining these scores. It's very simple, Dex. The scores are on screen. You just have to tell me what scores they got from the game we've just seen and how they add onto these. But what Dex will do is he will talk about what scores they got and the scores they got in the previous round and and then add them together himself. So it just makes the explanation go for far too long. You just need to tell me. They came second, they got two points. This team came first, they got five. This team got, but it's like, they came second, which means they got this. But they did come first in the first round, so they were just getting five points. And if you add that to the two points they just got here for coming second, that gives them seven points now. Now, you compare that to the first team that came first in the first round, so they get five points if, you, if, you, if you're following along with me, but actually came last in this one. So they don't get any points, but they did get five points in the first round. And I'm like, Dex, just tell me the scores, mate. Just keep it simple. Mate, it's an academy. He's doing math. I agree with you. I do wonder, did he do the voiceover before the graphic existed or was he trying to make sense of the way the graphic animates? Because the graphic does kind of animate in the way that he explains it. I might give him the benefit of the doubt on that one because along the same lines, every f***ing challenge, five points to the winner, two points to the runner-up, zero points to the loser. Unless you're going to deviate, GM, just leave it because... That five seconds is time we could actually be squeezing other challenges in. That's 15 seconds of airtime. Like, we, well, sometimes we need it. That's like an it, Aladdin challenge. <laughs> it's 100% VO as well that, that's done after the fact. But I do agree with you. The way that they do the graphic is proper confusing because they're all in the same position. Like they, so, you know, the chart and crew, they're at the top, like basically in the order they get introduced. So Dream Team are at the top, chart and crew in the second, and Team Perfection are at the bottom, right? But not in terms of the points that they score. It's how they were introduced. So it might say 205 or 502. It's like you just need to show them in the order that who is currently first. But that's also why I wonder, you know, did they do the infographics and then just get Dex to come in and record? the voiceover once the graphics existed so they're not animating the graphics to fit his slightly wonky explanation he is reading 
a wonky explanation to fit the graphics. Yeah. It could go either way because we know they had him in to film some inserts because we've seen them for the um the Room of the Future challenge where he's in a weird kind of stock room. We have him doing some green screen stuff this episode and next episode, which is clearly filmed afterwards because he's also wearing a slightly different costume. He's not wearing the string vest. He's wearing a normal T-shirt like a regular human being underneath the jumpsuit. So it's a failure at script level, really. I like the idea of going, okay, this is how they did this round, and then going, adding that to the scores from last round, it means the standings are bump. So you show the scores for the round we've just seen, and then you show what it is plus the last round scores, and then you do the chung, 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 kind of mm-hmm. shuffling them into the order so it's actually ranked by score. It's crazy to think that these graphics were made they were rendered they were visualized and they were committed to tape and once you had them that's what you had nowadays we could do this in a live stream in (laughs) real time and it would look better it's crazy to think that that's how far things have come on since then so matthew captain your team perfection weren't so perfect were they no we tried the best tried your best yeah disappointed with the result though just a bit you played that last challenge, didn't you? Yeah, well, I never heard the game. And, uh, you didn't know so the game? Blame it on the game, really. Blame it on the game, yeah. really, but not on yourself. Well, I'm afraid it means you have to be ejected from the academy, don't they? Yes! Yeah. Caretaker, oh, oh. will you usher these gentlemen out of the uh, premises, please? All right, Matthew, you just said that they tried their best. Simon's never seen the game before, so of course it's the game's fault, and they're getting expelled. Yep, roll sizzle beef just takes them right out of the academy. And Dex says that uh, that's it. They have to be prematurely ejected. And he reminds us to come back for a celebrity challenge with a bit of oomph in it. Oomph, Luke. We've been ejected from the academy. We've still got two teams left battling out for place in the championship semi-final. We're going away for a little commercial break now, but do come back because afterwards we've got a bit of a celebrity challenge with a bit of uh, oomph in it for you. Hey Santa, Lund Poly are offering their biggest discounts ever, but only until January the 3rd. Biggest discounts ever? Get away. Oh, oh yes, this is my favourite one. It's called Big Star, darling. We open on Nintendo's enormous star, brilliant. Cut to wide shot of star, followed by lingering tracking shot of star's best side. And finally, freeze on enormous close-up of the star that everybody is talking about. Total entertainment. Let's record it. What? Oh, no! The wrong idea! Yes, Game Mind. Interesting incentive, Nintendo. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Comet Sale is now on with up to 25% off plus extra sale savings for three days only. You know where to come. We've still got two teams battling out for a place in the championship semi-final. But before that, we've got a very special celebrity challenge where two members of our studio audience are going to get a chance to win a dream date with our very special celebrity guest. So, without further ado, let's bring her on. Please give a big Games Master cheer for the Games Mistress. Okay, okay, let's have a chat. Now, Games Mistress, you're no stranger to games, are you, really? Oh, Fletcher, you're so sweet. And you're right. I like nothing better than frolicking with my consoles. <laughs> and as we come back from the ad break, we discover what that oomph is, because oomph, there it is. Jet from Gladiators is back on Games Master, but it's not Jet from Gladiators. This is not Diane Udale. This is the Games Mistress from Games World. Well, they don't say from Games World, they just say it's the Games Mistress. So they're careful not to cross the streams, and I guess that's because Games World is a Sky production. Games Master Channel 4. However, Games Master Magazine is under no such obligations. And so at the end of the network section, which is talking about the change in location and the team championships, they do say, of course, the show will still feature all the usual reviews, consultations and celebrity challenges that we know and love. We here at Games Master are especially looking forward to seeing the Games Mistress on the show. In fact, some of you may recognise her as Jet, out of the Gladiators, and uh, the Games Mistress out of Games World. One, they're perfectly happy to name Games World. Two, holy sh**, <sighs> guys, kayfabe, come on, reality <laughs> building. On. It's not Jet, it's the Games Mistress. Because, you know, Jet, Jet, she's in the nice, kind of relatively modest leotard, and she's wholesome with the hair flick. And this is the Games Mistress, who is wearing a rubber dress that, at a best guess was bought from a latex and rubber clothes emporium that was based somewhere in North London around this time in the 90s, because there were few enough companies around at that time doing this stuff that I'm fairly certain I've been able to narrow it down to one or two places that this dress could have come from. But she's so game for this. Like, you know, she's in character. She's in the game's mistress character, which is a very flirtatious sort of thing. Like she's, you know, oh, I do like to frolic with my consoles and all this sort of stuff. That doesn't like, make any sense. No, actually, it makes perfect sense. Action makes perfect sense. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, I do like to handle my joystick. That makes sense. Oh, <laughs> I don't mind thumbing buttons. That makes sense. Frolicking with consoles. What? You're going out into a field with clover? Oh, cartridges. <laughs> I believe I've laid my hand on your floppy. <laughs> I do, however, love that she, she comes on, she is all smiles and oomph, as we've discussed. And Dex is quite bashful. He's actually playing this role quite well. And she just calls him Fletcher. <laughs> 
And it's at that point where I realized one of the secret reasons they may have approached Dex to do this job is because it was being filmed in a prison and his surname is Fletcher. Ronnie Barker wasn't around to do this anymore. Ronnie Barker would have been a great games master. <laughs> if they'd done Games Master kind of in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, before he retired and left, he'd have been great to be like a, instead of Patrick Moore. He'd have probably done a funny voice though, so maybe it wouldn't have aged as well. But anyway, the games mistress is here. The audience are thirsty as hell. I'm going to be honest with you, Ash. Like, um, I mean, this may not be my best colour, but I mean, she, Diane Udale was in the news quite recently, like last week, Monday, in fact, I think it probably was at the time we're recording announcing that 2021 is the year that she is going to find love. She's finally going to find love. So I told my wife, because <laughs> I'd watched this episode, I was like, I think we've, we had a good run, but Jeff from Gladiators is trying to find love in 2021. And I think I might have a shot, to be honest. Is that why the sofa bed is made up behind you? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I've, got, if I've got a shot. I'm just going to give it a shot because I may as well. But Luke, does this mean we need to queue up the prince again? Okay, well, if you'd be so kind as to choose out two nice strapping young lads who'd be lucky enough to win a dream date with you, should they win the challenge? Sounds like fun. What a choice, what a choice. Oh, you'll do. Yes, good man, in a hat. That one. Who wants to be chosen? Okay, you'll do. Okay. Never mind, we missed out there. Okay, these are the two lads, are they? Let's find out their names, and your name is? Daniel. Daniel. Stephen. Stephen and Daniel. So, are you looking forward to winning a date with uh, the game's mistress? Definitely, man. Definitely, man. Yes, then what about you? Definitely. Yes, definitely. Okay, then. She, she's grabbing two kids out of the, the building because, like, it, like the, um, the Moni Love episode that we had in Series 3 uh, when they played Cool Spot, this isn't just about winning a golden joystick. This is about winning a dream date. Yes, and these kids are very up for this, whether it's the joystick or whether it's Jet. I mean, the game's mistress, it doesn't matter. Like Dex says, oh, you know, are you, are you looking forward to this? Are we up for the challenge? Both of these kids are just very up for this challenge because, hey, golden joystick and a date, for whatever it might mean, with the game's mistress or Jet. So they're well up for it. Now, this is a very special celebrity challenge. Luke, I've got to imagine we're going to have a very, very special game to play. Games Master, what's the challenge? Oh, I suppose I do have to set a challenge for this poor excuse for the games expert and their dibbling fans. The game is lethal enforcers for the Mega Drive, where you must collect as many points as possible by shooting evil triads on the rampage in Chinatown. The winner of this dull date will be the contestant who matches or beats the game's mistress's score in the fastest time. Shit. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we're playing Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD, which got reviewed not too long ago, getting 63%. And they were not kind to it either, saying that it looks like balls. And uh, Dave Perry saying that for every good Mega CD game, there's four or five shit games like this one. Games Master's not overly fond of the game's mistress either. Well, that's what I was going to say, because for me, it didn't matter what the game was. A, it's Jet from Gladiators, so I'm going to have a brilliant time regardless. But B, it's Games Master's utter burial of the game's mistress that really made me laugh. Where he's like, this poor excuse for a games expert. And then basically says, collect as many points as you want and you'll win a dull date. And describes her dribbling or dribbling. I wasn't sure which it was, but dribbling <laughs> or dribbling fans. And the thing I love the most about all this is you've got Patrick Moore that wouldn't know the arse end of an Atari 
verbally slapping down Jet from Gladiators, who, as we've seen, is not that great at games by <laughs> virtue of the fact she had to change controllers halfway through the challenge that she was on the first time. Yeah. Hey, this, this game is less about joystick control and it's more about, you know, how good you are with your trigger finger. Maybe she'll do better this time, particularly as she is stood less than half a foot from the screen. They're very careful when they show her setting the score for this challenge because she sets the score and the two challengers chase to complete in the quickest time possible. And they show one shot that's kind of from the side and it's very quick, but it shows that there is maybe six inches between the tip of the gun and the TV. Thank you very much, Games Master. Now the Games Mistress is at the console. She's getting ready. She's got five lives and 30 seconds to score as many points as she possibly can. We've got two contestants watching here, and what they're going to have to do is match her score as quick as they possibly can. There's no time limit for them. We just see what time they've got at the end. All right, Dave, now, is this going to be a tricky challenge for these two guys? Anything I should watch out for? Well, it's going to be tricky. How tricky it is depends on how good the Games Mistress is, obviously. Mm. The thing to watch out for is reloading your gun, clicking off the screen, and make sure you've got bullets in your gun. And don't kill the civilians right so don't kill no citizens and you know what she's been given very very solid advice by dave perry which is don't shoot the innocent people like all you gotta do is just shoot the baddies don't shoot the innocents very simple instruction what's the very first thing that jet does shoots a policeman <laughs> right in the back as well like he just appears such good bang dead it does get better from there she does shoot a bunch of the triad and then she shoots an old man. Now, Luke, we don't know that that old man wasn't an elder of the triad. The game may be making assumptions there, and they may be wrong. You may be absolutely right. But my favorite thing about that is Dave literally says, don't shoot the, don't shoot the chef or the old man. Bang, she shoots the old man. But at the end, she has 46 points and a big old grin on her face. She yeah. had fun doing this, or at least she either had fun or she's a bloody good actress and she did a good impression of having fun because she is all smiles and laughter. Yeah, she gives the gun a little, like, blow of the smoke away from it. She's actually really, like, vamping it up in it, and it's really good fun. So Steve, the two kids that we've got, I don't think we actually named them, it's Steve and Daniel. So Steve is up first, and he basically gets to 48 points within 25 seconds. But I went back and I timed it. Like, there's, you know the stretch we were talking about with the chef and the old man? That's actually, that's seven seconds where you can't do anything. So like in a time when you're trying to do this in the quickest time possible, you lose seven seconds immediately. Yeah, you're going to get that seven second gap. And part of the reason that that is there is also to give you a little bit of reload time. If you look at the way some of these games are paced, but you can trigger that moment, if you'll excuse the pun, more quickly by dispatching the enemies more quickly. So while you do get that breather, it's there. But Steve, it's not that bad. 25 seconds, he does pretty well. Daniel is up next, and I'll be honest, when he starts, he starts really well. He gets those first few bad guys quicker than Steve. But then he does a jet, sorry, games mistress, and shoots the police officer. Yeah, he has some wild shots and essentially just loses himself point after point after point. But all of those points that he accrued, he drops right back down to four points after 13 seconds. Because every time you shoot a civilian or a police officer or someone that you're not meant to, your, your score decreases. There are ways to lose points. But also, in addition to losing points, he loses, he loses lives, he loses score, he's down to two lives, 
Then he's down to one life. Then he shoots the chef. He does shoot a triad, but not before the guy has thrown a knife at him that takes his last life. He dies at 24 seconds with zero points. He totally balls that. Which is such a shame as well, because you said like he got off to a fairly good start, but I think the pressure just got to him. And then it all went tits up. Well, speaking of, I think one of the reasons he didn't do so well is the game's mistress was stood right next to him during the challenge. And if you look at eyeline that he had during that (laughs) challenge, the screen wasn't the only thing pulling his attention, Luke. (laughs) It was her consoles. But you know what, Luke? Guns don't biff challenges. People biff challenges, and he biffed that challenge. <laughs> right, blew it really big time, didn't you? Yeah, did you very well. Yeah, I think it was the gun. It was terrible. The gun was dodgy, yeah. was it? Oh, yeah. Did you uh, did you find the gun dodgy, then, Steve? Because you no. won't. No, not at all. No, no, no. Not at all. Of course you didn't. Well, according to Daniel, it was the gun's fault. Uh, but I love this because they're like Daniel's, like, yeah, no, it was the gun that was a problem. Cut to Steve. That was fine for me. I thought it was it was perfectly fine. Give me that joystick and the date. It's when Dex asks him if he found the gun dodgy and. Steve just says no, as if Dexter <laughs> is completely insane. He's like, no, did you see what happened? I just want a date with Jet or the game's mistress or both. Haven't quite worked that out. I'm a teenager. Hormones are running rampant and I've got a golden joystick. <laughs> and that thing the caretaker's about to give me as well. <laughs> this is the most salacious that Games Master has ever been, and we're not helping matters in the slightest. I was going to say, this is the filthiest we've ever been on this show, and this is a show that's had Dominic Diamond as a host for two series. But I love how into this Jet is as well, because she knew the role she was taking when she took the role, and she's having fun with it because it's so very different from the wholesome kind of family-friendly gladiators, it's a chance to do something a bit different. The whole idea of winning a date, it, it feels a bit very seedy. But at the same time, because... And I, we said this about the Cool Spot Challenge we had earlier this series. Because Moni was so good at like being, you know, and you know, the, the people that she was playing with and this and the other, like, it actually came across as quite a nice challenge and the same thing happens here it's not exactly nice because it is very very sort of like sexually charged because jet is playing this very sexually charged character but it actually just adds to the fun of the whole thing they're playing this absolutely bobbins game the challenge isn't particularly great but i had a lot of fun with it i think key to this one over the moni love challenge both these kids seem pretty nice the moni love challenge the one guy came across as a real douchebag. Mm, these are just nervous geeks. I'm not going to be critical of them for that, because at that point in time, I'd be nervous now. Yeah. And, oh, dude, did you not hear my speech that I just came about leaving my wife to go on a date with Diane Udale? I'm going to, I'm not gonna, if, you, if you did this exact same challenge now, I'd be, I'd be nervousier than them. I'd be more nervous than them. I'd be more geeky than them as well. But Steve, he wins the date, he wins the joystick, and he's led off by the game's mistress. Man, that kid is going to have bragging rights right up until this day. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because he can just go to anyone of our age or even a bit younger or a bit older, just go, remember that Jet from Gladiators? Went on a date with her when I was 12. And boom, that's it. You are not paying for a drink for the rest of the night. Can you imagine going to university and meeting a load of people that you've never met before? And one of your opening gambits is, I once went on a date with Jet from Gladiators. 
that that's the most interesting person in the room. Like that is the person I'm gravitating towards to talk to. Especially because you hope that he'd have got a couple of photos with her, like some mementos. I don't know if this is something that we revisit later in the show, because as we've said multiple times, we try and avoid skipping forward. Or whether it's something they may have even covered on Games World itself. Who knows? So much of Games World is lost to the ages because it was on so much. No one recorded all of it. I hope the date happened. I hope they had a good time. I hope he got some great memories to take away with him. And I'm hoping it wasn't too awkward. Like, for all the salaciousness and the, yeah, the slight seediness of this entire setup, it was fun and innocent enough. Yeah. It was no worse than the PVC-clad version of Blind Date. Who was the first to enter my fountain of knowledge? Games Master. I'm a bit rubbish on the Mega Drive version of Techno Clash. Can you get me further, please? Such a simple request should be greeted with a simple answer. At the start of the game, enter this code, 003-TL-A-G-T. You'll be taken to the fourth level, the underground city, where we'll be given massive stocks of weapons to use on the average. This should breathe life back into your games playing. Thanks, Games Master. Our first kid is Rubbish at Techno Clash, a game that I have absolutely no idea of. I've never heard of it before. But anyway, Games Master gives him a code and takes you through to the fourth level with loads of weapons. Yeah, 003 TLAG2. And it's an action RPG made by Electronic Arts, published in 93 for the Mega Drive. It's a world populated by wizards, which is invaded by a race of machines. So it's basically Gandalf versus Terminator. Causes havoc. You play a wizard who embarks on a journey after a magical star. And while the concept sounds interesting enough, it wasn't that well received. EGM called it a poor man's gauntlet which I'm not overly enamoured with Gauntlet in the beginning, so calling it a poor man's Gauntlet really isn't selling it to me. In fairness to the kid who's having trouble, they did also say that the game is hard to the point where it's impossible to derive enjoyment out of it. I can understand why this kid is asking Games Master for help. Some games that come up on the show, I'll be checking out or I'll be revisiting. This isn't one of them. Games Master, I've come across an engine shaman in the cemetery in Shadowrun on the SNES. What do I do? Ah, uh, this is an easy one. At the start of the game, pick up the slap patch in the morgue, but don't use it. Now, make your way back to the shaman, who is lying on the floor, not looking too well, poor chap. Use the patch on him, and he'll miraculously come back to life. You can now continue with your quest. How's that? That's just dandy, Games Master. I might have a different opinion of this next game, though, because this second kid uh, has come across an Indian shaman on Shadowrun for the Super Nintendo, and this looks to be like an almost point-and-click adventure because he says that you get the slap patch, but rather than using it yourself, take it to the, the shaman, give it to him, comes back to life, and now you can continue the quest. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, this looks like it might be right up my alley, to be honest. Shadowrun is great. It also reminds me a little bit of some of the early pre-3D Fallout games. Uh, in the execution, it's kind of an isometric, kind of uh, two-thirds view, and it is a good game. It's a fun game. Great hint, but you're right. It's point-and-click style logic, and also something that is counterintuitive to what you do in games. It's like, oh, I found a health pack. Boom. Use it. No. <laughs> that way, if you do that, guess what? The game's over because you're not going to be able to go any further. This game looks fun. It is one that I may revisit. I'm fairly certain I played it under emulation when SNES emulation first became decent on the PC. So we're going back to the 90s on that. Mm. But yeah, good times. 
Dance Master, I'm Crapper Alien 3 on the SNES. Can you help me? I can answer your call for help. Start the game, then hold down buttons A, B, Y, X on controller 2. Now, still holding them down, press button X and rather splendidly be awarded with a full array of weapons. If invincibility is what you're after, then press button A on controller 1 instead. Oh, cool. And our final goal is a bit crap on Alien 3, which I would say is the crap version of the game. It actually is pretty good. I just prefer the Mega Drive one. Anyway, this is a way for you to get some more ammo and stuff. And if you press A on the start uh, rather than the B, you get to be invincible. It's a fun little one, this, because like it, you've got to hold down all four buttons on pad two and then do either A or B on pad one to, to get the, the, the cheat that you're after. I wish I'd known this because I remember having Alien 3 on the snares and it was balls hard. It was a it's tough, so tough difficult. game. For some reason, I never knew this cheat. I'm really frustrated by that because I can't believe I didn't see it somewhere, either on Games Master or in a magazine. Although, again, much like Super Star Wars, this would have probably been a game I picked up later, secondhand, possibly unboxed quite cheap because we were coming towards the PlayStation era. So things mm. were starting to drop drastically in price. No, fun game, still worth checking out. Either this version or the Mega Drive version. Both are good in their own ways, Luke. Just, they're both good in their own ways. <laughs> well, it's time for our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my final challenge this evening, our contestants will travel deep into the land of make-believe for a best of three-round fighting contest on the Amiga beat-em-up Elf Mania. Smash your opponent to the ground with punches and kicks of the head and body, or pulverize them with the magic coins that are unleashed every time full contact is made. I shall have no truck with fairies on this game. Seconds out. Ash, I cannot believe this game has come up again in our timeline. This is a game... The okay, so a bit of backstory. If you've not heard our Nightmare episode that we did for Patreon, for UCP Extra, we read this interview with the kid who was explaining that you don't just go from room to room to room. You do a room and then you have to go back and sit in the green room for a little bit while they set up the next room, this and the other. And when they were sat in the green room, they were playing Elf Mania on the Amiga. And we sort of there were like, well, that's a game I'm not particularly familiar with. We didn't actually look it up, which we probably should have done, but we didn't look it up. And we just assumed that it was like an action RPG or something. It's called Elf Mania, for God's sake. It's on the Amiga. And then all of a sudden we're just sat there and it comes up in the magazine. And you told me, it was like, it's a bloody beat em up. And I was really stunned by that. And here we are, it's back again. And we've got it as a challenge. Yeah, it's the final challenge, the beat-em-up challenge, the challenge to decide who will go through to the next round of the team championship. And it's worth saying that the Dream Team, they didn't come unprepared. Luke, they've got a shitty banner. <laughs> they have got a banner behind them. It's a bed sheet, but it is a banner nonetheless. As I said, a shitty banner. <laughs> the Charlton crew, they just brought some friends. Far less effort, don't look like a bed sheet. But here we are, Elf Mania, as you said. It came up on the Nightmare episode, it came up in the magazine, and now finally we get to see this game that was being touted as the Amiga's homemade answer to Street Fighter. This game would be better than Street Fighter. It would take Street Fighter's crown. This game does not take the crown. It doesn't even take the scepter. This game barely sees the throne, unless you're talking about the toilet, because this game is poo. 
it looks proper shite. Like really, really rubbish. Like, like stiff as fuck is what it looks like. Now, what we see here, as it says at the top where the clock traditionally sits, is the TV version of the game. The reason for that being is the main version of the game, one thing was you actually had to unlock fighters as you went. You earned gold coins through fights, and the more gold coins you got, the more fighters you could unlock. So it kind of had a progression system. That's pretty cool. I actually dig that concept. It's like loot crating, but without the extortion. The multiplayer games got interesting because it wasn't just a case of, oh, you pick Elf Ryu and you pick Elf Honda. There was a grid of places you could fight and you took it in turns to pick one. Then you fought and whoever won that battle would win that square. And then you would try and get a line of three, basically noughts and crosses mm. with a fighting game. And again, as a concept, I quite like that. That's not bad, actually. And let's talk about the graphics. The graphics actually don't look bad. I wouldn't say they're Street Fighter 2 level, but I'd say they're better than some of the Street Fighter competitors. They definitely look better than Rise of the Robots. They're a very European art style because it's a European game. Unfortunately, while Street Fighter 2 is at one level, SNK is rapidly coming up behind them and it doesn't look better than World Heroes or, as we mentioned earlier, Samurai Showdown. All of this could be forgiven if it was a game-playing machine, if it was, like, so intuitive and flowing, and the reviews didn't really bear that out. It got mixed reviews. One group loved it, one group hated it. With the group that loved it, Amiga magazines. Some Amiga magazines. CU Amiga gave it 93%, praised it for bringing the quality of console beat-em-ups to the Amiga, which is true if you've never played a beat-em-up on a console. Amiga Magazine rated it 10 out of 10, and Amiga Format gave it 92%. Then you had the people that actually played the game. Uh, Amiga Power gave it 61%. A Swedish magazine gave it 1 out of 5. Whoa. And most of the naysayers basically said that while the game was outstanding graphically, it fell short of any real gameplay. And... That's really what we see in this challenge, because what we have is Godfrey is the she-elf, otherwise known from this point onwards as Shelf, mm -hmm. and Chris is the male elf, who's not given a name, but let's call him Melf. So we've got Shelf and Melf. So the game is Elf Mania. We've got Chris from the Dream Team and Godfrey from the Charlton crew. So, are these two beat em up experts or what, Dave? Yeah, these two guys are very qualified for this challenge because Chris reckons he can do Mortal Kombat in 30 minutes without spending more than 15 seconds on each round. And, uh, and Godfrey can do Street Fighter 2 Turbo in 40 minutes on level 7 without losing a single round. We're in for one hell of a battle. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed by this challenge because Dave gives them the, like, the big up before this saying that you know, Chris can do Mortal Kombat in 30 minutes without spending more than 15 seconds on each round, and Godfrey can do Street Fighter 2 Turbo in 45 minutes on level 7 without losing a round. Like, all these big, big claims and stuff. So I'm kind of, like, sitting there being like, we may be able to get here a really decent set of fighters if they were on. Like, if we'd have had these two on tournament fighters or something like World Heroes or something like that, but what we got them on is Elf Mania, and... Elf Mania doesn't quite play like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, but they're playing it like it is Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, and therefore it just doesn't really work. Like the gimmick of the game is that when you kick someone, coins come out, and then you can hit those coins again, and it kind of like goes back and is like a projectile weapon. 
but you can almost feel like them. They're trying to do moves and nothing is really happening. And it just feels so stiff and rigid while at the same time floaty because you jump up in the air and you jump really high up into the air. It is, Godfrey in particular cannot get the measure of this game whatsoever. No, I mean, the first round on both sides is basically a slap fight. There's a lot of jumping, there's a lot of flailing, and there's a lot of missed attacks, but Chris wins it. Godfrey does a bit better in the second round, but is crap, and Chris wins it again. And this game looks terrible. I know we've got Rise of the Robots in our future, and I would be amazed if it actually looks worse than this. Uh, Godfrey, come in here. Chris, Chris, line up. So, Godfrey, uh, it was a bit of a disaster, that challenge yeah. for you. What went wrong, mate? Well, I played for a couple of hours, but I didn't get special moves out properly, so... No, not enough practice on the game? No. Well, unfortunately, you get blown out, I'm afraid, and that means that the Dream Team, with their leery bunch of lads... Yeah! Yeah! Off-road, are you yeah. pleased there, Chris, team captain? Yeah, definitely. Surprised? No. No, not at all. Yeah, We're looking forward the to the semi-finals. Yep. Yeah. I'd like to thank the Canby Parsi and Paul Sider, yeah. our coach. Yeah. Post-match, Godfrey says he'd played it for a couple of hours, but just couldn't get the moves out properly. They were trying to play it like Street Fighter, and that wasn't working, because from what I know of the controls, it doesn't work like Street Fighter. The move commands aren't the same. It's different. Oh, man, there's so many games I'd have rather seen than played. Yeah. Not even new games older games fatal fury is out at this point i'm fairly certain or isn't fatal fury 2 things out on the snares at this point but yeah you said world heroes we could have had that i think we're still a little bit because the magazine obviously came out afterwards so samurai showdown probably isn't around and also let's be honest they might not get away with that one having already had mortal combat we could have had mortal combat luke and i'd have rather have seen them play those games with all that said the dream team and their posse are through Chris isn't surprised. He thanks the posse and their coach. And Dex is just really bemused by all this because <laughs> I only just realised this kid's wearing a blazer. I noticed that as well. Was he wearing a blazer the whole time or did he just put a blazer on at the ends? I think he was wearing it at various times and took it off and put it back on. But Luke, it's a red blazer. <laughs> it is. Is that a sneaky reference to the departed Mr. Diamond? Oh, I didn't think it was that. But, I mean, it, it could have well been. I'm trying to think why else you would choose to wear a red blazer to um to this, because it's not like it suits him. No, I mean, you, you might just really like Butlins. It's 1993. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> the teams this week are pretty good, but we've got three better teams next week, I'm sure. They're all be battling out for a place in the championship semi-final. So we're going to be back next week. We want you to be back next week as well. So, see you then. Bye. So that was episode 17 of series three of Games Master. Uh, I think it was a bit of a mixed bag of an episode. Like I really enjoyed Super Empire Strikes Back and I really enjoyed Dragon's Revenge, but Elf Mania was quite poor and the Lethal Enforcers wasn't great. Like the Lethal Enforcers challenge wasn't great. All the stuff around it was pretty good. And I wasn't much fussed by the consultation zone or the review zone. So for me, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. This I enjoyed the banter throughout. I think Dex and Dave were having a lot of fun in this. The first challenge was great to see. Then you've got the pinball challenge, which again was great. It was a lot of fun to see. It was nice to see an unusual game because I don't think that's a game that crossed a lot of people's mainstream vision at that point, even though it was quite well regarded. Leaving aside the game for Celebrity Challenge, because we both know 
after having done this for almost three complete seasons, that the game is rarely the thing about the celebrity challenge that makes it good or not. Mm -hmm. This was a great celebrity challenge. It was a lot of fun. It's the second time that Jet has been on this show, and I would argue it is way better than the first time because she sent a stage, she gets to have some fun, and she gets to literally and figuratively let her hair down a bit. It's good times. Then we get Elfmania, which, as far as games go, is probably going to be one of the low bars of Season 3. I say one of because I've looked into my crystal ball, Luke, and I've seen some of the things we've got coming up, and it is amazing that Elfmania is a low bar on an episode that also contained Lethal Enforcers. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind the review zone because while the games weren't spectacular, they were games I hadn't really heard of. So there was a level of interest there. I got a smug sense of self-satisfaction of not needing red glasses to read the encoded message. And the consultation zone was the consultation zone. That was about it. I was fine with it as an episode, and I think if we'd had a different last challenge, I would be feeling a lot more up on this episode, and not that I want to put words in your mouth, but I think you probably would as well. I think 100%. If we'd have had like a tournament fight at the end here, or uh, a champ edition, a turbo, I think we would have been looking at this very, very differently. Because I do think that those two fighters there probably would have been quite good at them. What we've got coming up as the final challenge for next week, that's an absolute banger, and not a game that's commonly talked about. But that's yeah. next week. This is this week. With the mixed bag it is, Luke, where are you sitting on the scores? I'm going early 80s for this. You certainly can't go below the 80 mark. Not for an episode with Jeff from Gladiators. Like, and it was enormous fun as a challenge. Also with Super Star Wars in there and a bloody wicked pinball challenge. So you can't go below the 80 mark for this one. But I am going low 80s. So I think I am going to go for 83% on this one. You're a bit above me. I'm not going below 80 as well. I'm going to go for 81. I think that's absolutely fair, yeah. It's a fun episode, but if you haven't watched it yet, and for some reason you're listening to us before watching the episodes, which is a weird way to do things, but you do you. You can stop after the consultation zone, really. There's, yeah. there's not much to be seen unless you just want to see what a truly shit game health mania turned out to be it does raise the big question for me why were those kids so fascinated with it at nightmare <laughs> unless they were playing the full version and the full version with the tic-tac-toe and more time to dedicate to it meant that you actually got pretty good and you got a good sense of enjoyment out of it maybe it's a game that you know unlocks itself to you after a good three four hours solid play Woof. Doesn't work for a challenge, Luke. Doesn't work for a challenge. Or it's a case of it's good if you're not trying to play like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. Maybe it's all right then. But if you, uh, but these two players were clearly trying to play Turbo and, and Mortal Kombat while it, so yeah, it, it didn't quite work. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod and on Instagram at under.console. And you can get in touch with us, feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to interact with us in a bit of a real-time kind of way, it's almost like IRC from the 90s, if you're old enough to remember that. You can join our Discord, details of which are on our social media and in the episode notes. It's a lovely little community. We've had a lot of discourse over the past couple of weeks. We've had talks about the new Sonic 2 announcement. 
We've had talks about the potential Games Master comeback, which may still be relevant by the time you hear this. We don't know. <laughs> and if you want to support the podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. At the £5 level, you get next week's episode one week early and ad free. And at the £10 level, you get some extra lovely bonus stuff. Ash, what do they get? Oh, they get a mug, they get stickers, they get badges, they get retro sweeties, they get retro Power Rangers trading cards, and they get £5 off our first under-consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, stickers and badges from underconsultation.com. Shout out to those £10 backers, David, Colin, Zach, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Phil, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jamie, Gordon, Cliff, Adam, Warrington and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days time for episode 18 of series three. We are actually rapidly coming to the end of this run. It's amazing. The, the final episode is on the horizon and... I know we said we'd see how we'd feel at the midway point, and both of us were actually pretty much okay with this series. And then we got into the team championships, and we said, oh, we'll see how we feel by the end. But we're not actually that far from the end. And despite some Duff challenges, I'm still good with it because Duff challenges are not down to the team championship. Duff challenges are just a thing. Well, let's see how we get on next week, and we'll see you then. Take care, everyone. Um. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.